0: Welcome to episode 101, a 34-part episode on Catholicism 101, the foundations of our Catholic faith. These episodes originally premiered on YouTube. You can find the original video linked in the description to this episode, as well as a discussion guide for your benefit and whoever you might be listening with. A friendly reminder and invitation to please, if you have not yet done so, please rate and review this podcast. It helps other people find it. It's such a great way to get this podcast out there and for you to share it with others. But remember, the highest compliment you could pay this podcast and myself is to share this episode or any episode on social media. And you can do that by simply posting it on your story or tagging us in a post. At ManaFoodForThought is our Instagram handle. At ManaF4T is our Twitter and our Facebook page is just Mana Food for Thought. You can find all of that on our website, manafoodforthought.com, as well as all of our previous content. And if you'd like to become a financial sponsor for as little as $1 a month, you can do that by clicking on the Patreon tab on our website. If you have not yet done so, I really want to invite you to check out our friends at Thrive Coffee. It's coffee with a mission. Their website is drinkthrive.org, and they are a nonprofit craft coffee roaster in Richmond, Virginia. They use coffee to create careers and training opportunities for individuals with disabilities. Uh, They ship nationwide, their beans are locally roasted in small batches, they make blends, and three bags sold pays for one hour of work for their differently abled employees. So go to drinkthrive.org, buy a few bags, and if you use promo code MANA M-A-N-N-A, at checkout, you will get 15% off your first order. With that being said, enjoy the next installment in episode 101, a 34-part episode on Catholicism 101. Enjoy. Many years ago there were these great Apple commercials. There were these two guys on a white background and they would always start by introducing themselves, I'm a Mac and I'm a PC. And the PC guy was kind of an uptight, older, nerdy character and the Mac guy was this relaxed, trendy, younger guy uh, to personify that that was the cool new brand. Well, someone in the Christian world picked up on this, this theme and they made some spoof commercials. You can probably still find them on YouTube. But there were two guys of similar character types, one older, more stoic, and one younger, more hip character. And the, um, the younger one would say, I'm a Christ follower, and the older one would say, I'm a Christian. And the Christian embodied all of these stereotypes that are often revealed um, in a surface level type of inauthentic sort of Christianity. While the Christ follower really got to the heart of what it meant to follow Jesus. Now I bring this up because we live in a world that is very follower oriented. We have a very follower oriented culture. Social media is the obvious example. We literally follow and unfollow one another. We also follow certain shows, series, or celebrities, certain thinkers or movements, political parties, the list goes on. But this is a limited sort of following. These things really mean that you are a fan. You like this element or what this person says or stands for would you 100% lay down your life, die for this person, or devote your entire life to them or to this movement or this thing that you follow? No, probably not. However, when it comes to Jesus and our faith, that is the response that is demanded of his followers. You either say a 100% yes, or it's a no. The Bible actually challenges us in this way when it says, I know your works. I know that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. When it comes to our faith, we need to be all in, even if we're running in the opposite direction. God would rather we use our free will instead of stay comfortable in the middle. We cannot simply be a fan of Jesus. We must be willing to follow him even when it is uncomfortable, when it's difficult or when it's unpopular. This is what we mean when we say the word disciple, to be a disciple of Jesus. The goal and purpose of every single Christian's life is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ for the rest of your life. So if you're still with us in these episodes, then I assume that you recognize that God is real, that He created you for love, belonging, the true, the good, and the beautiful. And that you also recognize that you sin and that your sin separates you from God and from your purpose. But Jesus came to reconcile you and invites you to reclaim your inheritance as a child of God, to build the kingdom of God in your own life and in the world by following him as a disciple. The word disciple shares the same root word with the word discipline, which implies that it requires, obviously, an ongoing dedication and effort. The word is often translated in English as student. However, the best translation and understanding of the word disciple is the literal translation, which means something like one who sits at the feet of the master. The best equivalent is something like the word apprentice. So what did being an apprentice of Jesus look like at the time of Jesus, and how can we do that today? Well, to understand that, we have to actually understand the religious culture of first century Judaism. For Jews at the time of Jesus, all children, when they were about the age of five or six years old, they went to school. They went to what's called Beit Sefer, which means house of the book. It was the first stage of synagogue school, and they were meant to learn and memorize the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Jewish believers still call these five books the Torah, which means the law because they contain the 613 laws of the Jews for worship, for rituals, their rules for life. These five to six year olds spent years memorizing these five books by vocal repetition. They didn't have copy machines. They had to learn by response. And they would do that. They would do that until they were about 10 years old. Then the girls would all leave school and focus on learning the jobs that women often performed in the home and the boys would be tested and only the best and brightest would be able to continue their education in the synagogue for the next level of schooling. Now that next level of schooling was called Beit Talmud, and that means house of learning. And during that time, they would continue studying interpretations of those first five books of the Bible, and they would try and memorize the entire rest of the Hebrew scriptures, which is our entire Old Testament. And the Old Testament takes up like two-thirds or three-quarters of the Bible. That is a huge amount of memorization that they would do until they were 12 years old. And that's when Hebrew boys tend to celebrate their transition into religious adulthood through a bar mitzvah, which means son of the commandment, because they have learned the commandments and everything surrounding them by the age of 13. This was also the normal marriage age for young women, who would also be entering into their own adulthood as well at the time. It's interesting to note that at this age, that's when we hear Jesus is lost in the temple. And in a sense, he's leaving his parents to go to the temple, where he is found not learning, but teaching those inside. It seems that he already knew where he belonged. He already knew that he was a son of the commandment, that he was obviously the best and the brightest, but he was obedient to his parents. But at the time, the best and the brightest from that second level of schooling they could then enter the final level of education, and that was called Beit Midrash, or house of study. And when they would enter this um, level of education, they would commit their lives to becoming a follower of a famous rabbi, a disciple. And they would learn everything about that rabbi's interpretation of all the scriptures they had memorized. They would go present themselves to a rabbi, they would interview with them, and if they were found worthy by that rabbi, The rabbi would say, come follow me, and they would follow the rabbi so closely. In fact, a common blessing for disciples at this time was the phrase, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi, because disciples followed their rabbi so closely that the dust of their sandals used to kick up onto their garments. That's how closely they would follow. They lived, ate, traveled, and studied with their rabbi, and rabbis took on as many disciples as they wanted. And this level of education, it lasted until about the age of 30, when those disciples could then become scribes or rabbis themselves and take on their own disciples. The same age around when Jesus began his public ministry. That is what apprenticeship looked like. You would be with your rabbi, you would become like your rabbi, and then you would eventually do what your rabbi did. That is what any apprentice does when they learn something. You know, they go to a master, and the master takes them on uh, as a student, and the master begins by saying, okay, I do, and you watch. So I'll show you how to make this, you just watch. Then eventually it'll be, I do, you help, okay? You've seen me do this a few times, you help me do this. Then the master can say, okay, you do this, and I'll help, I'll be here if you need me. And then eventually, the master can say, you do this, and I will watch. That is what it means to be a disciple, to eventually take over for the master. Now the interesting part of all of this is that at any point, if you were considered not good enough to proceed to the next level of education, you were told to go back home and learn your family trade. So that's what's so interesting about Jesus is that he doesn't choose from the best and the brightest. He doesn't wait for disciples to come to him and interview and to try and get this very popular or fame-oriented desire fulfilled in, in the minds of these potential students. No. When he becomes the proper age of a rabbi around 30, he goes out to those who were rejected. He goes to those who were cast aside, who were excluded, to those who were told, you're not good enough, you're not worthy. And he says, no, you are good enough, you are worthy. I see something in you that they did not. I don't want them, I want you. I know you've made mistakes, I know you're not perfect, come and follow me." So instead of them coming to him, he goes and finds them. It says in scripture, "...as he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. He said to them, Come after me, and I will make you fishers of men." At once they left their nets and followed him. No wonder! I don't know if you've ever read that and be like, they didn't even know this guy. Why'd they drop everything? Well, their whole lives they had been told they weren't good enough. And all of a sudden, someone comes and says, Hey, I think you have potential. He goes out of his way to seek them out and chooses them. He even invites women to follow him as disciples, something no other rabbi did because he sees value in all people, not only the ones the world says are important at the time. In fact, there's an English poet named Francis Thompson, and he describes God. By the phrase, the hound of heaven. It says God is constantly chasing after and pursuing us. He writes a beautiful poem about that. That's who Jesus is. And being a disciple of Jesus means that we really follow him. We recognize that he is choosing us and we want to be with him. We want to become like him and we want to do what he did. Being a disciple of Jesus was different than being a disciple of any other rabbi at the time. And it is different from the way that the world works now. Rabbis of Jesus' time were very concerned with attention, with praise and achievement and popularity. Does that sound familiar? That's our world today. But Jesus, instead of trying to get popularity, he was willing to lay down his life for us. And we're called to follow that radical example. Christ also suffered for us, leaving for us an example so that we should follow in his steps, as it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. Jesus showed us a way to follow, and on top of that, he actually tells us what is required for those who want to follow him. It says in scripture, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What profit would there be for one to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? Or what can one give in exchange for his life? And in fact, when Jesus is ascending into heaven after his resurrection, he tells the apostles to stay in Jerusalem to wait for the Holy Spirit. And he uses specific language. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He uses the word witnesses. And the word witness in Greek, the language that this was originally written in, the word witness is martyr. And a martyr is still the word that we use to describe a person who is killed for their faith. Jesus is telling them, following me is not going to be easy. It's not supposed to be, but it will be worth it. There's this prevailing message out there that if you believe in God, then everything will be great. Everything will be comfortable. You will be completely provided for and everything will be joyful all the time. It's sometimes called the health and wealth gospel or the prosperity gospel. But that is not at all the life that Jesus told us that we would have if we follow him. I mean, look at the life that he led. It did not end in prosperity. I mean, sure, the resurrection happened, but there was utter defeat and suffering and sorrow. And that was carried into the lives of all the apostles, as we heard in the last episode, who all carried the faith to their death. Along the way, we as disciples, we will be questioned. We will be misunderstood. We will be persecuted. And if you're not experiencing those things in your faith life, then you're probably doing it wrong. You're probably too comfortable in your faith and not living it boldly enough in a way that means that we're living as disciples of Jesus, that we're all in, that we're not just a fan we're really following him and in fact that persecution it happened pretty quickly in the church like I said the Apostles they receive the Holy Spirit they're given the gifts they, that they need in order to be faithful disciples no matter what they face and pretty soon after that in fact like two chapters later in Acts of the Apostles the Apostles Peter and John they're brought before the Sanhedrin which is the court of the Jewish people it's the same group that conspired to crucify Jesus And they tell Peter and John not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. And Peter looks at them, dead in the eyes, and he says, It is impossible for us not to speak about what we have seen and heard. They were willing to suffer the same fate of Jesus because the good news of salvation in the risen Lord Jesus Christ was worth everything to them. We would do anything for our deeply held convictions, for the people and the things that we truly love. We are called as disciples of Jesus to serve others out of love, even when it is difficult. Now, you know this. There are countless billionaires, celebrities, influencers, and powerful people in the world who have accomplished all these things, but they still feel totally empty. The hustle of constantly feeling like you have to achieve something, to be the best at something, to have worth or value in life, that's a lie from the devil. Young people feeling like they're not good enough if they didn't get into the ideal college or they don't have a certain GPA. Feeling like we're not worthy if we get fired from a job or we don't get that promotion. We should seek to do well in life because we want to celebrate the opportunities we've been given by God regardless of what they give us. But we have to remember in the words of Mother Teresa, God did not call us to be successful. He calls us to be faithful. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is hard, but it is the best decision that I have ever made, and I promise it will be the same for you. So, if you are ready, if you're ready to take the journey of discipleship seriously, you need to do the three things that every single disciple is asked to do Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. How do you be with Jesus? Prayer and the sacraments, spend time with Him every day. In prayer, in relationship with Him, and encounter Him in powerful ways through the sacraments, through the Mass, through confession, adoration, frequenting them often. That's how you be with Jesus. Then you become like Jesus. You start to have a moral life in learning what Jesus teaches. It starts to affect our behavior and our choices and how we serve other people. And then eventually we'll be able to do what Jesus did. We can identify the gifts and talents that He gave us to preach the gospel and help others to know him in a unique way that only we can. And God can work supernatural and even miraculous fruits through us when we let him be with him, become like him, and do what he did. I invite you to hear Jesus in this moment, the hound of heaven, pursuing you and telling you that no matter the negative things that you believe about yourself or that others have said about you, Jesus looks at you and says, you are good enough. You are worthy. I see something in you that maybe they did not or maybe that person did not. I don't want them. I want you to do this specific thing to build up the kingdom of God that nobody else can do. I know you've made mistakes. I know you're not perfect, but I choose you. Drop your nets and come follow me.